Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 4 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes In Defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. Podcast 64 is entitled Self-Reliance Concept 9, God. I have selected 10 concepts from Ralph Aldo Emerson's essay, Self-Reliance. Each concept expands the virtues and variations of self-reliance or warns of the vices of the ways we forfeit self-reliance. Concept 1, Blind Obedience. Concept 2, False Charity. Concept 3, Truth. Concept 4, Faith. Concept 5, Nonconformist. Concept 6, To Thine Own Self Be True. Concept 7, Self-Reliance. Concept 8, Character. Concept 9, God. Concept 10, Solitude. The above principles are not presented in any kind of order. They are randomly selected from Emerson's essay. The ninth principle below, taught by Emerson, could easily be number one. Number nine, God. No discussion on Ralph Waldo Emerson's essay, Self-Reliance, would be complete without including his views on God. Emerson, who was a free thinker, integrated a belief in God with self-reliance. It may be safely trusted as proportionate and of good issues, so it be faithfully imparted. But God will not have his work made manifest by cowards. Emerson graduated from Harvard Divinity School and became a Unitarian minister like his father. Emerson, however, fell out with the church and resigned his position. Influenced by his brother, his views on Christianity were significantly altered. And when he was invited by Harvard to speak at the Divinity School, he so angered them from his independent thinking that they didn't invite him back for 30 years. A PBS presentation entitled, God in America, People, Ralph Waldo Emerson, quoted historian Grant Wacker's description of Emerson's belief in God. Wacker, also a Harvard graduate, taught at Duke University School. Professor Wacker described Emerson's religious views in the following way. God was best understood as a spirit an ideal, a breath of life, everywhere and always filling the world with the inexhaustible power of the divine presence. God was as close as the atmosphere, as intimate as the blowing clover and the falling rain. I particularly like Professor Wacker's description because it is validated throughout Emerson's essay, Self-Reliance. In Emerson's view, without God, there would be no self-reliance. Linda is going to share five brief quotes from Emerson's essay. 1. The relation of the soul to the divine spirit are so pure that it is profane to seek to interpose helps. It must be that when God speaketh he should communicate. Not one thing, but all things, should fill the world with his voice, should scatter forth light, nature, time, souls, from the center of the present thought and new date, and new create the whole. 2. When a man lives with God, his voice shall be as sweet as the murmur of the brook, 
and the rustle of the corn. 3. Thus all concentrates. Let us not rove. Let us sit at home with the cause. Let us stun and astonish the intruding rabble of men and books and institutions by a simple declaration of the divine fact. Bid the invaders take the shoes from off their feet, for God is here within. 4. As soon as the man is at one with God, he will not beg. He will then see prayer in all action, the prayer of the farmer kneeling in his field to weed it, the prayer of the rower kneeling with the stroke of his oar, are true prayers heard throughout nature, though for cheap ends. 5. These roses under my window make no reference to former roses or to better ones. They are for what they are. They exist with God today. There is no time to them. There is simply the rose. It is perfect in every moment of its existence. Emerson, 1803 to 1882, was the leader of the Transcendental Movement, which included Henry David Thoreau and Bronson Alcott. Their views on God were unique as they were profound. The following four views came up when I typed the word Transcendentalism in my search engine. Everything is a reflection of God. A person's true feelings and intuition are more valuable than book knowledge. Contemplating nature can allow you to transcend the real world. A person's instinct can lead them to understand God's spirit. Many came to America seeking not an easy life, but seeking religious freedom. They fled totalitarianism, tyranny, and religious oppression. We see in our Constitution and Bill of Rights laws that were passed to protect them from a repetition of those oppressions. Simply look at the First Amendment to the Constitution in a list of amendments called the Bill of Rights, ratified December the 15th, 1791. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or the right of people peaceably to assemble, and to petition the government for redress of grievances. As we examine the First Amendment as it particularly relates to religion, we are guaranteed the following eight rights. 1. Freedom from a government-established religion. 2. Freedom to establish our own religion. 3. Freedom to worship the God of our choice in our own way. 4. Freedom to have free exercise of religion, meaning to practice our beliefs. 5. Freedom of speech, meaning we may preach, teach, proselyte, or promote our religion to anyone who desires to listen. 6. Freedom to publish in any form the uncensored doctrines of our religion, whether in pamphlets, books, magazines, television, radio, internet, song, video, etc., without interference from the state. 7. Freedom to meet together as frequently as we want, even in public places and on government property where it is unrestricted, in religious worship. 8. Freedom to petition the government to redress grievances against anyone who tries to take our religious freedom away. Those were not idle suggestions. 
They were absolute laws established by our forefathers to protect our religious liberties. Any corruption, emendations, or loose interpretations of those laws will cause America to become just like the nations our forefathers fled from. Neither the President of the United States through executive order nor the Supreme Court have the right or power to take away those rights or to change them in any way. Any changes in the Constitution must be done in strict accordance with the laws of the land. Our forefathers founded this nation on the assumption that citizens would voluntarily follow the absolute laws of God, regardless of their religious preferences knowing that most of the laws of God could not and should not be commandeered by the government and imposed upon people's conscience. However, the language of our fathers assumed the existence of God, for example. The Unanimous Declaration of the Thirteen United States of America When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bounds which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Notice the assumptions upon which our nation was formed. To assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. To entitle means a right to have or to do or to receive something. It is the right to authorize, warrant, sanction, license, empower, qualify, or enable. In other words, we are empowered by nature and by nature's God. Such a power does not come from man or government. Behind those assumptions is the belief that the laws of nature and the laws of God are absolute and unchangeable. That includes gender, and that includes inalienable rights, as also stated in our Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We are endowed by our Creator. Endowed means to bestow, confer, appoint, bequeath, grant, and endue. That which God has given, government has no right to take away. The very foundation of our liberty was founded on the principle that it came from God, not man. The purpose of government is to protect those rights. Only God can take them away. And for the first 200 years, it was still assumed that we were one nation under God. The original Pledge of Allegiance was written in 1892. The original form read, I pledge allegiance to my flag and the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. In 1923, it was amended to read, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And in 1954, it was changed to its present form. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Now they are taken under God from our Pledge of Allegiance. If the trend continues, 
they will take it away from our Declaration of Independence. Once they do that, they will take away the rights endowed by God and replace them with government-appointed rights and government-appointed entitlements. The assumption that America was founded upon the belief in God is evident in our history. The Star-Spangled Banner was written in 1814 during the War of 1812 by Francis Scott Key. It became our official national anthem by an act of Congress in 1931. 150 years after our nation was founded, it still reflected the sentiments of our founding fathers. As the following verse shows, the assumption of the existence of God is inherent in our government. Oh, thus be it ever when free men shall stand between their loved home and the war's desolation. Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven-rescued land praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must, when our cause it is just, and this be our motto, in God is our trust. And the star-spangled banner in triumph shall wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. Some groups today are turning their backs on the past and writing their own anthems. Not so with our forefathers. The Battle Hymn of the Republic, which came out of the Civil War, was written by Julie Ward Howe and first published in 1862. It became the favorite patriotic hymn during the greatest trial of our republic. The vision of our forefathers burned in the hearts of Americans. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. Today, the editors of Wikipedia call it highly self-righteous, apparently because it links the union cause with God's vengeance at the day of judgment. Wikipedia derogatorily refers to the biblical allusions to Isaiah 63, 1-6, found in the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Who is this that cometh from Eden with dried garments from Basra, this that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me, for I will tread them in mine anger, and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. And I looked, and there was none to help, and I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore mine own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury it upheld me. And I will tread down the people in mine anger, and make them drunk in my fury, and I will bring down their strength to the earth. The second allusion is found in Revelation 14, verses 14 through 19. And I looked, and behold a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. 
And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the wine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. It is only recently that the left has been successful in removing God from our government, the Ten Commandments from our court system, and in God we trust from the halls of Congress. They are now trying to remove Christianity from our nation. A belief in God and a belief in the Holy Bible are so interwoven into the fabric of our democratic republic that any attempt to remove religion from our government will cause the entire republic to unravel. Without God, our government will collapse. Those who are trying to destroy religion and remove Christianity from our nation and replace it with their own interpretation of human rights should beware. If they can remove Christianity, there will arise another power greater than them who can remove them, and they will find there will be no constitution to save them. Our constitution and bill of rights are our safety nets. If they are modified or removed or attenuated in any way, down will fall America and from its ashes will rise totalitarianism like the beast that rises out of the sea. When freedom of religion falls, all freedoms will fall, and power, unadulterated power, vicious, all-consuming power, will take its place, and no one will be saved. Alexis de Tocqueville, the French philosopher, made the following observation. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there in her fertile fields and boundless forests, and it was not there, in her rich mines and her vast world commerce, and it was not there, in her democratic congress and her matchless constitution, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good, and if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.